Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. As always, joined by fellow co-founder Evan Silva and the 2021 NFL Draft is just two short weeks away. It is time, my friends, to start getting educated about this class. And for that, we are joined by one of our favorite prospect evaluators, a man who is in the tape streets and always willing to stray from the herd. It is Matt Waldman of Football Guys of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Matt, thanks for being here. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to get to do this with you guys. Yeah, I know it's a busy time for Matt. He's only grinding tape for thousands of prospects. No big deal. Evan, how's it going today, buddy? Good, good. It's great to have uh, Matt Waldman on. And the first time that I ever heard about Matt Waldman was um, right after Chris Wessling had come on uh, at Roto World. Chris Wessling, actually how Greg Rosenthal, uh, who hired both of us, found Chris Wessling, was on the Football Guys message boards uh, talking about dynasty, uh, mm-hmm. dynasty leagues. And um, and Chris like started a, a blog. I think his name on on the on the football guys message boards was fear and loathing or something like that. And um, he kind of created a little bit of a, a following there and would write you know big long posts. But uh, Greg eventually found him and hired him. The the late great Chris Wessling, by the way. Um, and he uh, and he uh, introduced me to uh, Matt Waldman's work. Uh, with the rookie scouting portfolio, which has become very, very famous in the um, in the in the dynasty and fantasy football community, uh, and it's always great to be able to pick Matt Waldman's brain. Uh, so glad we could have him. Yeah, for sure, totally agree. Do you remember those message boards at all? At all, Matt? Do you have any memories of that? Oh, absolutely, because the football guys at that time. I mean, back in the mid to mid to late nineties, I had. Um, employees of mine who we played in fantasy leagues with together and they wrote for KFFL. If you remember them, Mm -hmm. Um, they used to write on their newsletter wire and they're like, you got to check out football guys message board. And I would check that out. And I would, I would sit on, I would be on that for a while as well for those years. And what's funny is that I first heard of Evan because Greg Rosenthal and um, his and Rick Cordella at Roto world had, 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 extend an offer to me to do some work where you, Evan, you and I were going to be coworkers, but I was really interested in pursuing this draft guy that I had. And I remember Greg and I tell this story occasionally. And I say, you know, I remember telling Greg, um, you know, I have this draft guide I want to do. And, and his response was just pitch perfect because I would have done the same thing if I were him. I'm, he was like, well, you could just write for our draft guide, you know? <laughs> and like he was, and he asked, and he said it in such a way, like, what's he thinking you know and i remember and i remember it was a really tough decision because i remember thinking this is going to be fun and i remember he was telling me about yeah you'll work with this guy evan silva and you guys will be doing some work together and this is what you'll you guys will be doing and i turned it down and i remember being i remember being in my living in my in my living room with like no furniture and a tv because that's a long story but like watching um sunday Sunday night football and seeing Greg on um, NBC at halftime. And I'm going, I better make this thing work, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and it was always great to see how all that grew and how, you know, Evan and how your career has grown. And then I, you know, and then getting a chance to do some stuff on Ross Tucker's show with you on fantasy feast. And so, yeah, it's funny how things just in, in evolve, especially yeah. when you look back in the industry. 
Yeah. Well, there goes there goes Greg being a corporate stiff again, trying to get you to work for the man. I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you held out. I'm yeah, glad you held decision, out. Matt, geez. <laughs> it worked out very well, but let's just say at that time I was thinking it better. <laughs> um, okay. Before we get into the show here, I want to remind everyone Silva's first mock draft. Mock draft 1.0 is up on the site right now. It is up for free. We also have Kareem's rookie rankings up on the site, dynasty rankings which include rookies i'll be i just posted uh my first round of draft props that i've taken last night so head to the site to check all that out okay on today's show we're going to talk quarterbacks and running backs with matt we'll be back uh, later in the week with pff's mike renner to talk wide receivers and tight ends but today quarterbacks and running backs so let's start with quarterbacks here matt and and i think there's at least been some rumblings i don't know how strong they are that the first five picks could actually all be quarterbacks for obviously the first time in NFL draft history. Maybe they should all be quarterbacks. You know, we'll see what Atlanta decides to do if they want Matt Ryan's successor. We'll see if the Bengals trade their pick to someone who wants a quarterback. In your opinion, though, does this quarterback class warrant that? Does it warrant five quarterbacks going in the first five picks just from a quality perspective at a high level of these five guys everyone's talking about? In the NFL and the way that they develop quarterbacks, the way that they look at um how they value the position the answer is i would say four out of those five are worth a first round pick and the fifth one is probably a good fit for the organization that he's going to go to and i'm sure we'll talk about him um you know in reality i would say the the development of the quarterback position is really bad in the nfl and that creates a desperation it's this kind of cyclical thing um which is why we are where we are and we're talking about having them drafted early um because we could sit here and talk about draft capital and all those different things about why the success rates of players by round um but a lot of that too comes with the bias of investing money and how many chances they get versus you know in the early rounds versus how many they get as late round guys yeah for sure um let's start with everybody's number one trevor lawrence i think for three years now the nfl has been waiting for this right they've been waiting for trevor lawrence to enter the league how would you compare trevor lawrence to some of these other quote-unquote can't miss number one overall picks you know i don't know guys like Peyton Manning comes to mind and Andrew Luck and Cam and Stafford. And maybe I'd throw Joe Burrow in there. Just guys who everyone was like, oh, this guy's the lock number one pick. You know, and there's no debate about it. How would you compare Trevor Lawrence to some of those other guys? I'd say if we were going to put him on a continuum of players, I would say that he'd be somewhere between above Matthew Stafford and below Andrew Luck. And I think that, you know, a lot of people looked at Andrew Luck and you'll sometimes hear rumblings about, about Lawrence and say, oh, he's no Andrew Luck. And but I think people forget that Andrew Luck had failings too. He had he certainly had some issues with his game. There wasn't a fire zone that he couldn't figure, you know, he often figured <laughs> couldn't figure out certain types of zone drops and things like that. And when you look at Lawrence, I mean he plays in an offense where they ask him oftentimes to use a lot of um how would I put it like throwback type of misdirection plays that he can do, but sometimes it you know, the way that he would execute it, it you, you would have questions about his accuracy in that regard um, in terms of throwing on the move and and some of his mechanics there. But overall, you look at his game and you have to understand that this is someone who is technically sound with his feet. He has someone who has a terrific throwing motion. When you look at what he can do on and off script, he'll hang in the pocket, make the small maneuvers you want to look for to be able to create space, create time, and, and find that second or third read. He's also very good outside the pocket 
at using his legs to manipulate defenders to create open passing lanes for his receivers. So he's someone that as well as he can run, he's also excellent at using that to his advantage to throw the ball downfield. Um, so, I, you know, I look at this guy and I feel like that he's someone that is probably, I think he's head and shoulders the best quarterback in this class. And I think that, you know, Jacksonville is going to be in a good position, you know, with him. I think they're going to be able, if Gardner Minshew can have moments of playing well at times in terms of the skills that he had, and certainly defenses had a chance to figure him out after they looked at the tape and pinpoint his weaknesses and kind of paint him into a corner. But when they try to do that with a guy like Lawrence, you're going to see that he'll be able to work his way out of those corners more often than a guy like, um, you know, Minshew and he's going to have the weapons around him. So this is going to be, this is pretty much a slam dunk pick. I think that like maybe the, the primary trait, it's really a culmination of traits for a quarterback that, you know, reaches, I don't know, top 10 status or would be considered elite or, you know, a perennial, you know, guy who's, you know, going for all pro or, you know, when, uh, at the position would be that they they're capable of like elevating the the play of the players around them. It was like, you know, Andy Dalton is a kind of a guy that is maybe as good as the, as his supporting cast will, will dictate. Uh, whereas some, some quarterbacks, and I think it's through anticipation and giving, you know, with accuracy and giving the, you know, the, the pass catchers uh, run after catch chances, you know, by, by putting the ball on their, on their finger, on their hands, um, when they're in, in, when they're moving or, um, you know, getting rid of the ball quickly and making the offensive line look better. Do you think that Tre- Trevor Lawrence uh, like can be that sort of quarterback, ele- the, the, ele- the teammate elevator um, and, and, you know, make and, and, and immediately like early in his career uh, with, you know, DJ shark and LaVisca Chenault and, um, you know, Marvin Jones, I think was a nice pickup for them and they're bringing back all, all their offensive linemen. And I think that Daryl Bevel, their new OC has done a pretty good job, uh, wherever, wherever he has been, you know, in the context of that environment, do you think that Trevor Lawrence can be a guy that can help elevate, like elevate this offense quickly, uh, to have early career success? I think he can. And I think the key there is I'm, I've always been kind of a, a Marvin Jones stand guy, because I think he's a. He's a capable receiver who's very technically sound and can play multiple positions. And I think that's going to help out the younger receivers as a, as an aging veteran. I think he'll be able to show these receivers a little bit more and has experience working with, you know, a veteran quarterback who's pretty darn good. And I think that's going to be helpful to Lawrence. But even when you look at Lawrence's stats, you know, I track, I track a variety of throwing stats with the RSP, including you know on and off platform throws in the short, intermediate, vertical, and deep ranges. I put those in fourteen yard increments, and I look at them. You know him also on the move and opposite hash. And when you look at, I, I judge it by pinpoint throws, which are exactly the way you described it. Like if Bill Walsh were, were still coaching and, you know, I, I use this anecdote, Mike Holmgren once um, complimented a, a Joe Montana throw to Jerry Rice that wasn't pinpoint accurate. And pull, Bill Walsh pulled Holmgren in the side and said, the throw needs to be in stride. And you have to imagine it as if a defender is plastered to the guy's back. Um, and if, if he's throwing it exactly where the receiver can break towards the ball and catch it in stride, that's pinpoint. If he has to do anything other than that, that's not pinpoint accuracy. And so I grade in that fashion when I'm looking at the college game, even if the guy's running uncontested, 
you know, and when you look at Trevor Lawrence's game, you see that he hits those benchmarks pretty much um, in the short, intermediate, and vertical areas of the field when he's on platform. Um, same thing when he's off platform. And then, you know, with his mobile accuracy, you can see also that it's pretty strong in the short and intermediate game, which is what you'd expect with flashes of skill in the vertical and deep ranges, which, you know, to throw on the move like that, you're looking, if you, if you already have pinpoint accuracy that high, you're talking about being an all pro player already. And, you know, he's got some room for growth there. Um, but this is someone who can make all those throws who often makes accurate throws and gives his receivers chance to, to make plays. And the fact that he does so well off script, and he can create binds for defenders and be able to find intermediate targets while on the move because of the fact that he can manipulate defenses. To me, it's that intermediate range of the game that's the most important because the short, you know, you can talk about short and deep, but it's that intermediate range that puts the defenders in a bind. And if your your ace is there, then you're good to go pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, I, I want to ask just a quick fantasy question on Trevor Lawrence, because as you've seen in today's NFL, it's really hard to win DFS tournaments for guys like Tom Brady, for guys who are uh, pocket passers, Drew Brees, et cetera, to win you DFS tournaments because they can't, it's harder for them to get 40 points. It's harder for them to go there when they don't run the ball. And we saw Lawrence rush for 563 yards, nine touchdowns as a sophomore. Uh, what do you think of Lawrence's rushing statistics, ceiling, floor range at the NFL level. Do you think he's going to be taking off and running a lot or how do you think that goes? I think it's going to be closer to what we saw with Andrew Luck's career. It's going to be better early and then probably start to decline as he gets more comfortable as a passer. So if you're thinking about playing him, it's probably this year and next that you're and from that format, that it's probably going to be the most appealing for him. And as a runner, as we've seen, I mean, this guy has really good hip twitch um, in terms of flexibility to change direction at a high speed. And he, I think he's a little more reckless than he needs to be um, at this point. But again, we've seen signs of him being able to slide, but Overall, yeah, this year and next is probably the time to get him because he's going to be undervalued as a rookie. And then on top of that, he's going to be running more. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's move to Zach Wilson. I thought, you know, from what I have read and immediately I am farthest thing from a scout, but Zach Wilson was not great. I don't think he had a lot of first round NFL hype in 2019. But last season, he goes from 11 touchdowns, passes to 33 touchdown passes, also ran for 10 touchdowns last year what did you think of Zach Wilson in 2019 and how much did your opinion change in 2020 it didn't change much at all and that opinion is he's that guy that I don't think deserves to be in the first round if we were looking purely at ability um, but if we're looking at fit he's a good fit for the Jets in the sense that his game is a lot like Baker Mayfield's if you ask me it's you know and a lot like Baker Mayfield a lot of people saw Mayfield as the next Drew Brees Russell Wilson Brett Favre maybe if you're looking at you know according to some people um but to me he was pro bowl level Jeff Garcia back in the day when he was with the 49ers which kind of takes the air out of the the balloon a little bit for a lot of people mm -hmm. but when you look at Zach Wilson's game the issue is is that he, he has a lot of frosting and no cake to his game. I mean, the frosting to his game is that you have these back shoulder throws. He has the ability to run, and he is a good runner. He can scramble around and buy time, and he has a decent enough arm with certain types of throws. But there's a lot underneath that that's concerning with his game that I, it's not concerning to the point that I think he's, he can, he's likely an absolute bust in the way that I still don't understand the Jordan Love pick 
the Drew Locke pick seemed to me he was kind of a a light switch player rather than a thermostat player in terms of his consistency. He was like that that kid who was enabled to allow him to just use his arm and not really focus on developing the the technical skills and conceptual skills and traits that that he could have within him. And he realized in the SEC there were times he couldn't turn it on and turn it off against the top teams. And that's happened in the NFL for him Um, with Zach Wilson. What you see is a guy who could develop some more of those traits, but the issues are he has a front leg that locks out. And so the ball either sails or dies. It sails when it's short. It dies when it gets past the intermediate range. He doesn't respect off coverage, especially on opposite field throws. So when he throws to the opposite sideline or opposite flat, and he's thrown in the intermediate to vertical range, there are a lot of passes he got away with that if you're projecting to the NFL, the defender's going to be a step faster, and that broken up pass or that lucky catch that goes through the hands of the defender is likely to gonna, likely to be a pickoff, and you're going to see a lot more broken up passes there because he doesn't read the leverage of the situation well. There were passes that I saw where he threw what you would call hospital balls, you know, just – you know, putting, hanging his receiver out to dry. And these were throws that didn't happen, you know, in situations where he had to make the throw. It wasn't like fourth and seven with 57 seconds left and down by three. This was like, you know, second and five in the fourth quarter up by 21. And he's still doing this type of thing. And so when you look at his game and even his accuracy, when I look at his accuracy, his, you know, his vertical and deep accuracy is not nearly as strong as you think it would be um, outside of those back shoulder plays. And, and I would count a lot of those back shoulder plays where a receiver had to go up and get it as pinpoint accuracy because of the design of the route. I'm not just saying because he had to work for it that it's somehow not pinpoint. But when I looked at those areas of his game, they were more they, they were below expectations for me. So when you put all that together, yeah, put him in a in a system where he can roll out. So you have one side of the field. He can have crossing routes or over routes where he has multiple windows to target a, a player. He can do that. And but if you're asking him to to make, he can read the full field. But if you're asking him to actually make good decisions with the full field, he misses reads that that he shouldn't miss. Um, he targets guys that he shouldn't target. And a lot of it is just a misunderstanding of what he's seen in coverage. Um, or ignoring it and not having the confidence to do it. So when I, I think he can develop to be a competent starter, but he's not the guy I'm looking to and saying in a dynasty league um, or even in a redraft format this year, he's not a guy I would be looking at it late in the, um, you know, late to pick and redraft or early to pick in dynasty. So with those concerns and the fact that he had some durability problems in, in college and the fact that he really only had one good year in college. And that good year, um, I, I know it, it came against one of the weaker schedules uh, in college football in terms of defenses that were faced by BYU. Why do you think that he is considered to be, and not by you, but by other people? And I always love to get your analysis on, you know, you, you know, you, you, you've been talking about like the, the cocoon concept for years, especially at the quarterback position yeah. and the way that the NFL views quarterbacks. And I mean, you, you've been on this for, you know, for a long time. Well, um, why do you think that as we, we, you know, we, we zoom out 
why is he considered to be almost head and shoulders above Trey Lance and, and, and uh, uh, Fields and, and Mac Jones? Well, a couple things, and and I, I appreciate you throwing me the softball here because this is a fun, <laughs> this is a juicy one that I get to get to talk about. Um, first thing is that is that when you look at, I, I always think that early rounds and why I'm not a big draft capital equals talent guy as much as maybe some other folks are draft capital is equals opportunity to me. And it's a small difference. So if you're playing fantasy, it doesn't matter because you can correlate the two, but as a talent evaluator, it's draft cap early draft capital is a product also of resume bullet points that CYA that are basically cover your ass for, for um, GMs and, and, and personnel directors and, and owners. Because if you think about it, it goes back to when I first started writing about this, there was a five, nine, 205 pound running back who I remember got a scholarship to Florida state and then tore his ACL playing a pickup basketball game. And they rescinded his scholarship. And then he went on to a smaller school that up in the Northeast and proceeded to lead the NCAA in, in total yards um, from scrimmage as a returner, as a, as a receiver, as a, as a runner. And then he tore his ACL, another ACL and his other knee slipping on some black ice, walking somewhere um, and came back, had an amazing senior bowl. Andy Reed loved him, drafted him. And it was Brian Westbrook. Well, mm -hmm. when I first got into this, it was the first article I ever wrote in fantasy um, because I saw Gil Brandt. I'm sitting here reading about Gil Brandt talking about if Brian Westbrook were two inches taller and 10 pounds heavier, he'd be a top five pick. And I kept thinking, well, why isn't he a top five pick now if he's that talented? And I think, and I think about my own work as someone who had to hire, train, recruit, and follow up and work with people as a manager and director. And I thought, well, small school, two injuries, you know, um, not the prototype, you know, that you're looking for. And if I'm having to answer to people or have to look at kind of failings, I can understand people think from a political standpoint, well, I would rather fail on the Florida state running back. Who's five 11 and 225 pounds and runs a four, four had no injuries and has the production you're looking for at a big school rather than because everyone's going to call me a complete idiot. If I draft the, the 205 pound undersized running back with two ACL tears from Villanova in the first round. And so it's about that valuation and, and risk management. And with quarterbacking, it's the same thing. You look at Zach Wilson, the stats are there. Um, so people like the production with the stats, the program may not have had great competition, but it's still a big time program relative to what Trey Lance was working through. Um, so there's some of that there. And then the other aspect of it is the NFL has a bit of hubris to it. And it's, and this is always the case with organization with, um, industries where they're very insulated and they, they don't like to accept outside help a lot. So they've built all their processes inside. There's some level of nepotism and some growth from starting from the bottom floor up and you have to pay your dues that way. They don't think anybody outside of them oftentimes really um, gets it. Like there's still a feeling like these outside guys just don't get it. Even if it's, even if it's getting better, they still don't see that. So what ends up happening is I think they see a guy. It was like Randy Moss way back in the day. Once Randy Moss did well, they were looking for the next Randy Moss once. And when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, there were a lot of people that were like, 
We think he's too reckless. We didn't recognize that what he was doing was daring with a lot of logic behind it rather than reckless. And when they missed on that, they liked, you hear it from people who, who are sometimes on shows in the public and you can hear them almost as mouthpieces for what the NFL is, is saying, which is, well, he sat a year behind Alex Smith. Andy Reid really helped him out and made him a better player. But the thing is, is that Patrick Holmes intrinsically had the skills that you cannot teach because they had to, they were developed to the point that they were already there when he got there. He just had, you know, he, he was in finishing school. And from what I heard from people, it was that chief scouts were literally like using their Friday sessions um, to watch Mahomes on the scout team and just have their popcorn and laugh like all rookie year, just laugh and, and have fun because they couldn't wait to see what was going to happen when they unleashed him. Um, and what happened with that is that a lot of teams felt like, well, we missed on Patrick Mahomes. Let's find someone who has Mahomes like qualities and we can train them too, because they still think somewhere inside that they can develop the guy, even though, We've seen without a shadow of a doubt that they don't develop anybody. I mean, if Tony Gonzalez, one of the top 100 players of all time, says, I was awful in my second year and I was so down on myself, and he's saying this, you know, on national TV that I had to figure out how to get better. And he said, I actually developed my own practice routine with the help of some people and made coaches work with me before and after practice every day. And I had this routine to get better. I had to learn the things I needed to do on my own. And this was an ultra mega talented athlete who had all this promise. And he said, I wouldn't have become the player I did if I didn't do all this extra work. And that's not like something that was initiated by coaches. They don't coach people up. They coach to scheme and the playbook. And it's all about executing that. And those exercises that you see in practices for 10, 20 minutes a day, that's not going to get you better. Try playing some music or try learning some sort of complex skill. And you're going to figure out that like 10 to 15 minutes of rehearsal time on real hard skills that these guys have to learn on their own, that's not going to get them better. And so that, but the teams think that these guys will just automatically do it. And that's a big question mark. So when you look at this, there's a little bit of hubris there thinking that they can create the intrinsic skills. And with quarterbacking, the last thing I'll note about that is that it's like hitting a mark as a comedian or an actor or a musician where the timing has to be to the speed of instinct. Whatever you've rehearsed, whatever you've learned is to the speed of instinct. And so when Mahomes sees a certain leverage point with a defender on a receiver, he lets the ball go immediately. Brett Favre, for good or for bad, let the ball go immediately. Alex Smith, he's more like the economist who says, well, I know there's a bread line, there's bread lines in every city. I know that people are cutting jobs, but until we see the numbers, we can't say that it's a recession. Well, I understand that you got to do that when you're doing academics, but football isn't academics. You have to be quick. And Alex Smith would wait, you know, an extra two to three beats when he saw that leverage point. And then when he throws the ball, the defender's already recovered in the NFL. And that's what happens with a lot of quarterbacks. And that it's that type of skill that you can't teach. You have to, you have to have that already by the time you get to the NFL, but the NFL doesn't always realize that. And I think that's the big issue with Wilson. Yeah, and I think that leads us into the discussion about Mac Jones because people are sitting there and talking to themselves. They're saying, my God, how can you take dad bod 
Mac Jones, as Evan has referred to him over Justin Fields or Trey Lance. And I do want to say for the record, uh, Adam Schefter has walked back a little bit what he said about Mac Jones being a lock to the 49ers. And if you go read my draft props article, uh, I've talked a little bit more about that. But anyways, there's a lot of smoke around Mac Jones going number three. And people, I think Evan included, just just can't believe it. Where do you come down on this whole debate right now with the 49ers seemingly reportedly being very high on Mac Jones relative to Justin Fields, relative to Trey Lance? Yeah. Now, if it were if it were me, I'd take put Trey Lance at number three right there in San Francisco. And that would be the fit. It, it, the conversation would be over. But if you're looking at, you know, just if we're going to talk about the merits of Mac Jones, uh, it, you know, certainly the dad bod isn't it. But the but the thing is, is that he's and the, the other aspect about him that is hard, because when you look at quarterbacks, the appeal of a guy being able to run their athletic ability, their arm strength all those physical traits tend to shine a little bit more for a lot of evaluations. Um, and naturally, so it would make sense that that, that happens, but with Mac Jones, he, the other thing about him is he's not much of a creator. And so people, when it comes to prospects, they like creators, Mark Schofield, who writes with me and writes at TD wire with Doug Farrar. Um, I used to call it task oriented versus creative, but Mark, has a snappier term for it, which is Baker versus chef. Um, and so Kirk cousins is like an average Baker. Everything has to be set, right? All the ingredients that need to be there. The oven has to be the exact time, the time, everything has to be perfect for you to come out with the product you want. Whereas with a chef, you can look in your cabinet and go, well, I've got a can of beans. I've got some meat over here. That's been a couple of days old and I've got all these different things and I've got a skillet. I've got a skillet top electric little skillet top in my one room thing. And you can still make something tasty. And I think that when you look at a guy like cousins, he's a middle eight, he's a, um, the average type of guy has good, good weeks, bad weeks, good quarters, bad quarters. Maybe he's even slightly below average. You would say that Marcus Mariota is well below average. Cause you see moments where he just, he, he just, this, he just kind of has an issue where he just freezes up in situations in the pocket where if, if things don't go the way he expects, or if there's compound things that he has to execute, he can't see ahead far enough because he's so focused on the, on the mining, on the minutia that he could have a Mack truck coming his way and not look up when everyone else can see it. Um, Tom Brady is a guy that's so good of a baker. I've often said that, people don't even recognize him as a baker because they think that he's so good at, but he's, he knows every detail to, to the degree that he can say, Hey, Bill, remember when we baked that sourdough bread and you know, the oven didn't go to 400, he could only go to 405 and we needed to go to 400. So we got that drip pan and we put the cold water in there with the ice and we put it at the bottom, you know, the bottom shelf and use this type of thing. And it got the oven to where we wanted back in 2004. You know, I mean, he's like got that kind of mind. Whereas like Favre, Mahomes, players like that are like, you know, when they're on TV and John Gruden says, why did you make that throw? And, and Patrick Mahomes is cause I can, you know, mm -hmm. it's just a, it, it's he, now the logic is there. You go look at the logic and it makes total sense because he knows his ability and what he can do with, with it. And he, and he practices these things with the same rigor that a Baker would. But the difference is, is that Mac Jones is like, a slightly above average Baker. So he's a little better than Kirk cousins in that level. And the, the rest is hard to project because it's easier to project that the, that the chefs will learn more physical, learn more conceptual skills to up their game. But the physical skills are there like fields and, and Lance, 
But with Jones, you don't know whether the mental acumen is going to get even sharper. And I like his game. I think there are some things where he doesn't always put some two and two together where it's not planned, but he'll see a receiver. He'll see a, a defender come up and he knows he should have a receiver academically coming from the backside across the field and won't put two and two together. Then he needs to hit that receiver when something comes up unexpected, like the, the defender basically climbs a coverage that he thought otherwise would have been occupied. Um, but there's so much that he does know that I think he's a safe pick. Um, but you know, the, the lack of upside that you can discern, you know, non-conceptually just physically isn't ever going to be there. So right. that's why the criticism is, is as such. I have him as my third quarterback. Um, now his upside isn't his upside isn't as, as discernible, like I said, but I have Trey Lance as my number two, Mac Jones is my three. Yeah. I, I mean, and also I would say, Evan, like when you're playing with Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddell and John Mitchie, and I believe in 2019, he also had some reps with Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Like for me, at least it's, it's obviously easier to play with those guys than whatever Trey Lance or whoever else was playing with. I don't know if that's a donkey take, but it, it just makes it harder for me to evaluate guys who were playing with such great receivers what do you think about where you're at with mac jones yeah i actually uh going into all this i thought that the way that tua kind of struggled as a rookie um after playing you know surrounded by all those guys plus henry Ruggs, plus jerry judy might actually work against the nfl's evaluation of mac jones like um but it doesn't seem that it has or at least maybe in kyle shanahan's regard but at the same time you know I, I, I would not rule out Trey Lance being that number three overall pick. I think Peter Schrager, who has had, who's been pretty good at mock drafting, actually, in his latest mock, put uh, Trey Lance at number three, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the, the hive mind right now is all over Mac Jones going number three. Um, but I don't know. That's, that's you know, where the draft seemingly is going to start, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how it all so, – so it sounds like, Matt, and we should probably move on to running backs after this, though – uh, number one for you, obviously, Trevor Lawrence. Number two is uh, Trey Lance. Number three, Mac Jones. Number four, Justin Fields. Yep, and then number five, and you don't even necessarily have him in the first round, would be Zach Wilson. Actually, right? I don't even have Zach Wilson five. I have him oh, six. Wow. Yeah, I have. Who's your five? I, yeah, my five is Davis Mills. I think Davis Mills Stanford. in like, yeah, two, three yeah. years, sitting behind. Like, to me, I'd like to see Trey Lance in San Francisco. I'd like to see, um, well, Justin Fields, I think, isn't far from Mac Jones. They're essentially tied, but I, Mills was just slightly higher. And, you know, it depends on your style of what you want. And then when it comes to Mills, I'd like to see him in Atlanta behind Matt Ryan, give him a couple years and, and see what you have there. And if it doesn't, if you don't like the growth after this year, then you can pick next year, you, you know, but you still yeah. have time with, with Ryan. You, you're aware that the Jets fans are going to come after you after this podcast and, and they're going to be really all over you. I mean, oh, I, I, I was, I was on the Badlands, which is a, which is a Patreon podcast. And I told them this too. So that's I a mean, Jets it was podcast. my first, yeah, it's a Jets yeah. podcast. And, and I've, I've pretty much have, I'm going on another one too. And, and that's the thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, this is how it works, but it's like, you know, he's, the grade is high enough for him to be a starter. It's a good fit for New York, but yeah, for me, number two overall. No, nah, I'm not. I that's not where I'd want to get him. 
Let me ask you real quick before we move on to running back about Justin Fields, because, you know, from fantasy, I mean, guy comes out and runs a 4-4. Obviously, this is going to have fantasy players salivating more than some of these pocket guys. But honestly, like, I didn't think Justin Fields was like a crazy runner at Ohio State. He did have 10 rush attempts per game. Felt like maybe he could have run even more. Uh, What do you think about his rushing ability at the NFL uh, level on a scale of, of, I don't know, like Dak Prescott to Lamar Jackson or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that he's somewhere in between both those guys. I, he's not Lamar Jackson level at this point in terms as a runner, um, but he's certainly closer to that. He's in the zip code, whereas Dak is in a different city. Sure. Um, but but I would say that when you look at at Fields, he's probably going to run more in these first couple of years. I think he has as much upside as any of the quarterbacks in this class. It's just that he and the the whole progression thing. I mean, listen, he he makes progression reads that's let we can put that to rest and i think everyone who's who anyone listen if you're listening to this podcast you listen to enough people to know who who knows what they're talking about and you know that's we can put that to rest um he he can go quarters without having to go past his first or second read because of the way the offense is um mm-hmm. and then he'll he'll make some plays that you're like what were you thinking but then there's, then he'll make some, but it's just a consistency issue. To me, it's kind of like you put him in the Josh Allen plan, which is, you know, it's not that they were both smart quarterbacks. Allen flashed some pro bowl caliber skills, but then had some moments where you're just like, wow, if he doesn't get past this, he might not um, continue to play in the league. I think fields is better than that. um, Though he has some of those moments to his game, but like Allen, if you put him in a system where you, where you realize that maybe year one, year two, if he doesn't get to that second or third read and he runs, it's okay. We're not going to go crazy at, you know, over that. And we're going to let him play his game that way. And then we'll continue to build around him and figure out what works best and with the development that he can make. And with Allen, we saw how that worked, especially with those crossing routes and speed receivers where he had multiple windows to, to execute across the field rather than having to make execute timing routes, breaking back to the quarterback and stuff like that, that would be um, more difficult throws with only one window. Okay, cool. Let's go to running backs here. And um, I think the consensus, well, it's not the consensus. In the betting markets, there's some consensus that Najee Harris will be the first running back off the board. From what I can tell, Travis Etienne has just as good of a chance. How would you compare those two guys, who would you rather have on your team between Etienne and Najee Harris? Well, I'm a zone running guy for me. Like I would prefer that it's easier to run in the NFL. Um, you need to have a pretty darn good line to run gap on a, on a high level or on as a frequent level level. So right there, Najee Harris gets the edge. Um, they're both very good receivers. Harris is very strong at being able to run routes that you wouldn't necessarily target um, running backs on, but he's shown repeatedly the ability to win back shoulder plays against even the likes of Patrick queen, who's playing for the Ravens right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But he can also win routes over the middle. Um, He's someone that gives you a little more versatility, short yardage. Once he develops there a little bit more, his pass protection has more upside than Etienne, even though I'd say, they're almost the same if Etienne maybe isn't a little better because there's lapses with Harris's game. Um, as a pass protector, he drops his head and telegraphs plays and gets push-pulled or knocked back in the backfield or swum over um, pretty easily. But all in all, he's the more promising all-around back. And, and for me as a zone runner, 
He gives you the power, the burst, and still the field flipping ability that you want. Yeah, I think in fantasy, Evan, we a lot of times look for runners who can be split wide, who will play on every third down. And honestly, like maybe Najee Harris can also do it, and maybe he will. I think NTN uh, is the, at least more is at least really likely to do it. Caught forty eight balls in twelve games as a senior. How would you compare NTN and Harris? What you've seen so far, at least for fantasy, Evan? Uh, they're totally different. I mean, I, I think they're very, very different. The, the, the question though, that we need to ask Matt is can Najee Harris be that three down back? Um, and also, uh, with Travis Etienne. So I remember Matt Waldman was very, very critical of Tevin Coleman coming out of college and he's been proven right. Um, and I think that one of the reasons that Matt was critical of him was, um, because he, he didn't have great lateral agility uh, and he was maybe a suspect scheme fit under Kyle Shanahan, which I mean, Kyle Shanahan's like, wouldn't give it up for, you know, like a decade. Um, but uh, d- do you have any of the similar concerns about, because I know that Travis Etienne is not, is not the most laterally agile back. Um, do you have any concerns like Tevin Coleman, like concerns about Travis Etienne? And do you think that Najee Harris can play on all three downs? Okay. I think those are great questions. And yeah, I mean, I think Etienne, Etienne is a better prospect than Tevin Coleman in that regard. I mean, Coleman even played in an outside zone at Indiana, but you could see that there's the, why there's a difference in NFL and, and college game when you're evaluating, you still have to project towards what the NFL is going to demand of him in that type of scheme. When you look at Etienne, I think he improved his zone game this year. I think he made wiser decisions overall. He still has some times where he tries to bounce things outside, and it's more likely that a player with his big playability, as we've seen in the past with Reggie Bush and so many other backs, C.J. Spiller, Lawrence Maroney, anybody who had great speed, that they will, early in in their career, Miles Sanders is a recent example, early in their career, they will try too hard to make a big play as a result and try and bounce or cut back rather than press deep enough into the line at the end can do it. He may be the one most likely to backslide year one until he, he matures in that system, but um, he's the best fit. If you're going to convert him to outside zone, that would be the safest conversion early. Um, But you'd like to see him in a gap heavy scheme that does some outside zone. Um, Najee Harris, I think he can be a three down back, especially if you're going to use him in a system where there's more screens, more, um, you know, wide routes, things like that. You might, you can split him. And I think that he can win in that back shoulder game because it wasn't like he did that once he did that numerous times. Um, and because he can work the middle of the field. Well, I, you know, to me, it's more of like how you might use Kareem hunt. And I think that he can do some of that. The issue is, if the scheme demands him to block a lot, he's that learning curve might be too steep from year one. And then if a, a coaching staff just writes him off after year one, he has more of that boom bust situation where it's like, well, we're not thrilled about where he is. It's like Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb can catch, you know, and we've seen instances of that for sure. Um, but you know, if they find somebody who's a proven third down guy or have that already, he could wind up just being a two down guy. Yeah, so I think to, to answer your question, Adam, you know, it's just going to come down to landing spot for, yeah. for these two guys in terms of their fantasy profiles. And just as Matt said, like, 
you know, could Najee Harris find himself in a situation where he gets fed, you know, the rock uh, as a receiver like Steven Jackson did? I mean, that would be, you know, an incredible scenario. Or is the or is he going to find himself in like a Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb situation where he's only really playing on on first and second down? And so I, I think Etienne has the leg up just because he's he's likelier to get that opportunity. Yeah. It's just going to come down to opportunity and landing spot. Yeah, that was my feeling as well. Okay. Uh, there's been a lot of hype around Javante Williams, uh, Matt. A lot of people are saying that they're really high on Javante Williams. Uh, do you agree? Is he your number three back? And how far below Etienne and Harris would you put Javante Williams? He's my third back, and I have him over Etienne um, because I have issues with Etienne's ball security that may also be a little bit of a derailing factor. It's gotten worse every year. Um, but again, these are all guys within a similar tier. So it's more about preference and landing spot with all these guys. But Williams, to me, he's I think he's the safest pick. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have the best upside, but think Mark Ingram. And Mark Ingram, you know, in a good offense, can be a top 12 fantasy back. He was that way with New Orleans for times. He was that way with the Ravens for a year. Um, he has that kind of build. He has that kind of versatility. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not a, an amazing speedster, but he can flip the field. He can run multiple different types of schemes. Um, so, really, you can plug and play him. He may wind up being a two-down back early in his career or a committee back early on, um, depending on where his landing spot is but he also has the, the upside of being the every down guy. So you have someone that we didn't mention yet. Number two, is that what you're saying? No, I have someone that you haven't mentioned yet. Number one, number one. Okay. Well, now this is juicy. Let's get into this. So you have someone we haven't mentioned yet as number one. Let's talk about whoever this guy is. Yeah. So, you know, as Evan said, my process is as such that I, I just don't pay attention to narratives. I mean, I, I, I jo I've joked on some places a number of times. I didn't know Lamar Jackson won the Heisman until six months after he did. I didn't know that Devonta Smith won the Heisman until two weeks ago. Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't watch, I don't watch college football like that. Like, I mean, last time I college football like that, you mentioned the guy I was sitting on my, I'd be sitting in my easy chair with a cat curled up in one arm and, and some popcorn in another and, and sleeping through Steven Jackson at Oregon state you know, putting up, you know, big yardage. That's the last time I was watching football where I was following narratives like that. Um, so because I'm watching four to five, six games a day, it, there are different times of the year and people I respect who are in the draft community talking about guys, I'm, I follow them on Twitter, but they're on a completely different filter that I don't see. Like, I don't look at those guys until I'm done. So I don't usually know what's going on. Well, my top guy, the first time I talked about was on Ross's show with Emery, Emery Hunt. And I think they were both flabbergasted. I have Trey, Trey Sermon as my number one back. And the reason I have Trey Sermon as my number one back is that he is, he has incredible change of direction skill. And a lot of people mistake that for being average because they think of jump cuts and speed and dynamic movement as being the flashy thing that that gets people wanting to evaluate players, but the best, the best running backs move efficiently and they understand they can be dynamic, but they understand how to be efficient. Dalvin cook is unbelievably efficient. Um, you know, you look at Frank Gore and, and, you know, fantasy people hate Frank Gore now because he's the old man stealing everything from the young man's game. But 
you know, I, I did a, you can go to the uh, Matt Waldman's RSP or mattwaldmanrsp.com and look up what would Frank Gore do. And that's, there's a tape where I show of Anthony McFarlane um, where basically he makes a play where he loses three yards because like Kenyon Drake or Tevin Coleman or so many guys behind him, his, his movement was way too dynamic for the situation. And then I say, I wonder what Frank Gore would do. And I actually looked at a, a game and that same week and kid you not the first play of the game, very same type of play design, very similar type of penetration by the defense. And he handled it completely different and gained 10 yards on the play. And what I'm, and it was exactly what I was trying to prove as a point, because you look at sermon, he can, he can make the dynamic cuts, but he can also kind of curl around defenders without losing much speed. He can run both schemes. He catches the ball well. It's just that he wasn't targeted a lot because he was used in committees because Oklahoma has tons of good running backs. Um, it wasn't like he was benched. He just was splitting time with them, just like at Georgia, guys split time or at Miami, they split time. You know, Clinton Portis, Edron James, you know, Gore, McGahee, they all split time, you know. But often, you know, when you look at Sermon, he's also someone that breaks a lot of tackles. He, you know, he bounces off hits. He runs through wraps. He runs through reaches. I track all those things. I track all that data myself with the games that I, what the games that I watch. Um, and he didn't even get, have any hit opportunities against defensive tackles. And he, and yes, Ohio state has a great offensive line, but so did Najee Harris. So did Javante Williams. So did a lot of backs and they all encountered defensive linemen who were hitting them at some point. Sermon didn't have that at all, which also lends to the fact that this dude knows how to run and to avoid um, penetration in the backfield well, which is something that I saw. So the the thing is, is he's not going to be high up on boards because a lot of people look at those bullet points, didn't have the awesome production at those schools because he was splitting time. He had a little bit of an injury. He didn't have top speed, but he does have top skill in terms of his 20 shuttle and his three cone drill are very strong. If you look at his RAS score, it's actually in the top 10% of running backs over several years of like over 2,200 players. I believe that Kent Platt looks at uh, on Twitter. You can see that. And it's funny when I've mentioned him after shows, I've had some people say, I talked to a couple scouts or I've had some scouts email me and say that too, and say, there's a lot of conversation about Trey Sermon as the guy who might end up being the best back in this draft in two to three years. Um, so, uh, you know, that take it for what it's worth. I had Nick Chubb over Saquon Barkley a little bit. I had Marshawn Lynch over Adrian Peterson, and I loved Adrian Peterson and Saquon Barkley. Um, so sometimes that works. Then again, I also had Hakeem Butler as a top wide receiver. So we all have our misses. And we go from there. So did I, Matt. So did I. So did Greg Cosell. So did uh, Josh Norris. Greg so had don't... Greg had it too. You oh, and Greg yeah. had it too. Oh, yeah. I had yes, no idea did. about that. Yes, That's he awesome. Did. Okay. See, there you go. So I, I know that one of your your specialty skills too is like finding, I don't know, some random, you know, <laughs> small school RB that nobody's ever heard of. One of your 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 ones uh, recently, I know, was Boston Scott. You loved him. Nailed him. I mean, he's had a very successful career so far, you know, as an undrafted free agent. The, the list of those guys, I mean, is, is really, really long. Do you have somebody this year at the running back position um, that nobody's really talking about, maybe comes from a small school? You're, who's, your, who's your sleeper? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and this might be the year where I'm, I'm going to give you two, and I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, you know, Jermaine Martin out of North Carolina A&T, if he – 
if his um short if his um short area quickness and acceleration matches what i saw on the field and that's always the hardest thing to look at um he has the skills to be an nfl runner so i'm i'm excited about him he's worth taking a look at and then a bigger school guy that just seems to have gotten knocked out of there or i'll say josh johnson is at ulm is like a devonta freeman type very worth looking at and then my third guy is a little bigger school who's gotten forgotten about is Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State. Um, 10, 5, 10, 2, 14, runs with power, runs with quickness, can catch the heck out of the football, just got a, into a scheme change that really kind of derailed him, and then he decided to opt out. But this was a guy that I think he could be a starting running back in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to note on a process thing, like when we talk about DFS, like trying, I try my hardest not to read anything else until I've already finished all my work for the yeah. week, and then you just become naturally contrarian that way. It's not easy at times, especially when I'm on Twitter all the time and people are talking all the time. But like Matt said, I mean, that's the best way to be contrarian is try not to listen to a lot of stuff until you're already done with your work. And then I think it's kind of useful to listen to other people. But, you know, when you're doing the work, I think that it's better not to. Uh, to yeah, that's a, point. It's a great point because it's like this. You, If you're building, if you have a process, you don't know what the other person's process is. I don't know what Chris Sims process is. I don't know what Greg Cosell's process is unless they're going to show me exactly what they do. And, and when you look at the RSP, you know what my process is because I pretty much put everything out there that I do to the, to the point of insanity. And the reason I do that is that I, I had to learn football that way. So I, I build on that process every year. And if I make a mistake, it helps me learn faster because I can pinpoint what I did wrong. If I said, well, Evan thought this guy was great, but I don't know Evan's process. And then I go along with Evan because I respect Evan's opinions but he happened to get it wrong, but I don't know what his process is. Then I'm left like without a compass in the woods, not knowing what yeah. to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. We've said it all here. I, I mean, we've said that Zach Wilson is going to be a massive boss Jets fans. We've said that <laughs> we've said that we've said that Trey Sermon is the next Alvin cook. We, we we've said, we've said it all here, Matt, uh, tell the people where they can find you, where they can find your work, uh, everything related to the draft. Yeah, you can find me at mattwaldmanrsp.com. You can get the RSP there. And 10% of that goes, well, 10% up to $5,000 goes to Darkness to Light, a charity um, designed to teach people how to prevent sexual abuse of children through training programs of individuals, schools, um, municipal organizations, little leagues, whatever, as well as how to handle it when it unfortunately happens so it doesn't compound the trauma for children. Um, and I've already given $4,000 to them this year. Um, so there'll be more on the way, hopefully soon. Um, and then you can find my YouTube channel, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room, 570 videos, some with guests, you know, some including pro guests. Um, Jamal Williams has been on my show um, pre-draft. We did some work with him, which was fun because he asked he asked for tape. And I said, no, I want to see the difficult game. Let's watch the tough game <laughs> with you. That wasn't all that good. And but, <laughs> but, but we, you know, we'll do stuff like that and have a good time. Um, and then there's Matt Waldman. RSP cast where I do scout talk with Russ Landy, who is the U S head of scouting for the Montreal Alouettes, as well as my show with Mark Schofield. It's a quick game looking at the NFL and I'll occasionally do solo podcasts with that as well. And of course you can find me at football guys. Of course. Okay. Thanks so much for being here. We learned a ton. We'll be back. As I said, later in the week to talk wider series and tight ends with Renner. And then we'll also be talking some landing spots. Once we have these guys landing spots, I mean, that's where it gets really interesting for us in fantasy. Obviously I know Matt's work, it's almost done here with the talent valuation, the landing spot stuff is fascinating because as we know where these, how these guys fit and where they land is going to make a huge difference 
in their NFL career for sure. I'm sure it's frustrating to you, Matt, when like somebody you really like lands in like a situation you don't like, you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. And that's what I do with the RSP post draft too. Cause I do cheat sheets and, and I, I give you, you know, mock drafts and give you ADP versus my rankings. And that's always fun, but it is tough when you go, well, it might be a few years at best, <laughs> at best, you know, with this guy. Exactly. All right. For Evan, for Matt, for producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.